My name is Gianni Russo, a.k.a. Carlo, the infamous son-in-law from The Godfather. I'm now known as the Hollywood Godfather, and this is my story. Before all of the wins in my portfolio, I was a little boy diagnosed with polio. Welcome back. It's Hollywood Godfather podcast. Thank God. Pat Piccarelli, my co-author, friend, and co-host. Hi, everybody. We have a, a very interesting show tonight. We're going to be discussing two homicides. Uh, one of them uh, came about that came to our attention via the two emails uh, from uh, from the same listener uh, of our show, wanting to know what our opinion was about this. The first homicide we're going to be discussing, and the second one uh, is, a, is a homicide involving an individual who was uh, a character in the movie Casino. Uh, he was played by Alan King. But before we get to that, we got a couple of uh, uh, emails. You know, a couple of uh, weeks ago, we said we were going to answer questions regarding our book uh, anytime in March. And we, and we started last week, and we're going to continue. We got two questions. One was about the format of the book. Uh, this was uh, normally if you read fiction, it's either in first person or third person. First person being uh, the individual who's the protagonist in the book talks about himself. And every scene, every chapter, the entire book, that person is in it. When you're talking about third person, it's the uh, uh, unseen narrator talking about anybody he wants to from chapter to chapter to chapter. It can be many characters in the book. So what we did in this one uh, seeing as how the book is about Gianni, uh, his chapters are in first person and all the other chapters are in third person. And the question was via email was, can you do this? Yes, you can do anything you want to do because it's <laughs> fiction and we make shit up for the most part. But uh, as far as format goes, this is an acceptable format. It's not done often because it's a little difficult to write. Uh, but I've been doing it a while. Gianni has, you know, we worked on this book together. And uh, it, it, it reads much better that way because you get to know more about what's going on in Gianni's head. When you're doing third person, the, uh, the alleged narrator of the story can't get into anybody's head. He can only say what the character is doing at the present time. He can't say what he's thinking. So when you're doing first person, you can. So we alternated chapters. I would say that Gianni is in every other chapter. And... Uh, at the end, he's in all of them because when the book comes to an end, he, of course, he has to be in all of them. But I hope that answers your question. The other question was about Ray Yale. Uh, Ray Yale was a character in two books that I wrote, uh, Bloodshot Eyes and the Pop Line. And uh, I was thinking about bringing him back. And uh, that this was before Gianni and I were considering writing uh, The Sixth Family, the book we currently have out. And I thought, what a what better way to uh, reintroduce him to the people who know who Ray Yale is from the first two books, and what better way to introduce him to people who haven't read the first two books. And this is uh, uh, Gianni's story takes place in 1986, which uh, is a precursor to when the Ray Yale books came out that I wrote. The, the Ray Yale books uh, are set in the late 1990s. So we introduced Ray Yale in uh, Gianni's book, fresh out of the police department. He retires, in fact, in the book, 
and uh, he decides he's going to become a PI, and he helps Gianni through his uh, trials and tribulations and everything else he gets involved in in the Sixth Family. So any Ray Yale fans out there, you can you can read all about him and how he came to be who he is in the books you already read. Now, if you got all that straight. Yeah, I was uh, going to say, well, you're going to need a roadmap for that one. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, let's get into what we're going to talk about. And it's true homicides. And uh, when Gianni and I, when Gianni and I first started talking about this, he didn't know, and I didn't know that he, Gianni is very familiar uh, with both of them. Uh, we knew he was familiar with the second one. But not the first. But let me just give you the uh, overview of who was killed. Guy by the name of Jim Barrier, like in Barrier Reef. He was known as Buffalo Jim. He was a very colorful character, a former wrestler, owned an auto body shop. He was a cable TV personality. And uh, he was uh, one of these guys that are, you know, larger than life. He was big. He was an overweight guy, very flamboyant. Uh, wore costumes basically. He used to wear like an Abraham Lincoln hat. Uh, if everybody, anybody knows what that is, it's like a three foot high hat. And uh, he wore that around town. He had a big scruffy beard, and everybody knew him. Well, let, anyway, you know, let me interject up. some stuff that because you know the fact that sure. he was talking about when I was in Vegas, this guy was a clown, and yeah. when, <laughs> and his daughter must have wrote th- this epilogue of him being. Uh, a, a character on uh, television. He was nothing on television. It was local well, he had a cable show, show. According, to, according to her. Oh, yeah. Well, a cable show in, in Nevada yeah. is like having a radio show in the desert. <laughs> living. What is he talking about? I mean, she, obviously, she loves her father yeah. and uh, she, she made up all these accolades. He was a clown, basically yeah, well, a clown with a, yeah. with a tow truck business. Yeah, the the uh, research that I did uh, confirms that uh, he was a clown slash character, which could be construed as the same exact thing. Right. Uh, anyway, he was known was, was the point because he was flamboyant. And uh, in uh, 2008, he's found dead in a hotel room with a lethal amount of cocaine in his system. And uh, he was found uh, naked from the waist down. And uh, the hotel he was in was a uh, no-tell motel, which was frequented by hookers. And the police, I think, came to the correct conclusion that he went up there to have a little fun. And, you know, when you're overweight, particularly when you're overweight and you're doing coke, you do coke. The first line you do, your heart races like a jackhammer and it continues to race. And it, the, the, the more you do, the more it, it pounds. And you, t- you you have to bring yourself down, and you do that with copious amounts of alcohol. When you try to reach a level where you're just high, and you don't feel your heart is going to blow out of your chest. In his case, unfortunately, he was also a diabetic. He's uh, uh, He was uh, very, very overweight, morbidly obese, and his heart stopped. Now, of course, members of the family didn't want to believe that they said he he didn't Prim- do primarily his daughter wasn't it yeah yeah uh, and and you know and other people too because uh uh unsolved mysteries got a hold of this and it's it, unsolved mysteries like any other documentary show but particularly unsolved mysteries puts on about two or three of these uh episodes per hour 
and it, it's, they do it for entertainment purposes. Not going to say, well, we investigated this and we found out this fat guy had a heart attack while uh, while in a hotel room with a hooker. That's look at the backdrop. But look at the backdrop. He's yeah. an overweight guy. He's a character already. Yeah. He's in Vegas. It's got all the bells and whistles for all this, these stupid shows that do these mystery things. Let's yeah, of course. About him. But he did have a history with some very heavy mob people, just so you know that. I mean, the, the Crazy Horse is owned by a, a, a guy I know very well, Rick, and a nice guy out of Chicago. He'd been there forever, made a ton of money. And this guy just kept breaking his clones by parking his car, his trucks, in the parking lot next to the strip joint on a Saturday night. Well, that's that's the daughter's premise, is that this individual who owned Crazy Horse got pissed off at him and decided to hit him because he allegedly had a mob connections. This is Vegas. Everybody has mob connections. Unless, oh. you, unless you have a hot dog stand. And even then, uh, you, you can you can wonder. Uh, but the way he was killed, well, first of all, his daughter said he didn't use drugs, three dots, anymore. <laughs> she added that anymore thing in there. Uh, and she didn't say when he allegedly quit. He just said, you know, he used to use drugs. Everybody used to use, and uh, particularly with Coke. You know, I, I knew a lot of people who who lost everything over Coke. And you get involved with it, and it's a, it's a non-physically addicting drug. Not like heroin. You can't get physically addicted to it. But you can get psychologically addicted to it. And it's very, very powerful. I knew so many people who lost everything over coke most of them were wall street people i knew a guy one story 25 words or less that ran out of coke after a three-day bender and he started drinking his own urine because oh there was God. coke there was coke and it's not not uncommon it's an insidious drug and particularly uh if you have money it's like somebody once said i think it was uh robin williams said uh uh, uh using cocaine is, is, is a sign that you have too much money because it costs money. It's a hundred dollars oh, yeah. a gram. And when you're heavy into it, the, 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 you can, you can go through three, four grams, put it this way. You use Coke or you sleep, but you don't do both. Uh, and you can stay up for days on this stuff. And it's apparently what this guy was doing. Anyway, I questioned the premise of a mob hit under those circumstances. He's found naked from the waist down, uh, Coke all over him. But but the daughter said, but there was no coke in the room. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he ingested it. And but the uh, other thing too, which you didn't, uh, the cast of characters was a stripper from the Crazy Horse. There you go. <laughs> I was about to about to bring that up. She got to the room before he did. He reserved the room, but uh, an unknown female uh, was in the room before him. Uh, with his permission, and you know, you know, even even to have uh, you know to be fair about it, it's just logical what happened. And and uh, during the course of this uh, unsolved mystery segment, somebody said, uh, whoever it was, one of the witnesses, maybe somebody who worked in the in the motel, that yeah, well, she came into the hotel, but nobody ever saw her leave. And I'm thinking, can you say? back exit she didn't go through the lobby 
I mean, it's she gone out a window. She could have gone out the back door. The guy's laying dead. She's not going to go out the way she came in. Because but Unsolved Mysteries wrote this to make it intriguing. Of course. Well, that's, and like you that's, said, well, how do you know? It's like a bad B movie. It's the oh. premise of the show. And if you if you look at it as purely entertainment and mostly bullshit, it is entertaining. This show's been on forever. Oh no! I mean, I mean, I I find myself in the middle of the night nothing to watch. I'll watch that. Written there you go. Watch, you know, yeah. I'm not going to watch one of the housewife shows. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but they aren't going to tell you the truth. And while you know, I I, I feel for the next of kin. Uh, it it's just it's it's plain. You know, it it, it doesn't have the earmarks of a mob hit. You're going to whack a guy, you whack. No, yeah. and <laughs> not only in Vegas, you're going to whack a guy. You take him out to the desert with a 50-pound bag of lime and a hefty bag, put him in the bag with the heat and the sun. In five days, the bag's blown along the desert. There's nobody in it. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to go through all of this setup with the cocaine in a motel room and a hooker. Forget about it. Yeah, you know, I reached out uh, to the person who wrote the emails, and I I don't recall if it was the daughter. The, the person who wrote the emails didn't I identify themselves as such. But uh, I wanted to let the person know that we were doing the show. And if he or she wanted to come on the show to give their point of view, we would welcome them. I'm but, glad we didn't waste our time with that. Well, <laughs> what is she going to make? make about that? I think it's a daughter who made some money on her father's death, trying to say he was a nice guy, he gave up drugs. And she sold the show. She, I mean, really wanted to do anything. Wanted to just sweep it under the rug, say some prayers, and, and bury the guy. Well, well, the point is, you know, I'm, I'm sure she would. Uh, the, the premise of these shows is they interview the loved ones and the people who are concerned with it with their opinions. I know. Uh, the people who host the show or who produce the show don't have their own opinions. They just well, they, have they, to they elaborate on you. That's why they call it unsolved, I guess, you know, yeah. but uh, I think whoever wrote those emails probably said, gee, if I go on these, these guys show, they're, they're going to be rational and make sense. And then what am I going to do? So I wrote twice. Uh, fair is fair, you know, and I just wanted to give them the opportunity to come on the show and let's hear from their end. And it would have been a lively conversation, but. It, it you know it's left now with with the family having the segment on uh, unsolved mysteries and that's the way uh, people view it. They're not they're not fair. You know I, I often said this. There's only in, in in law enforcement. There's only two types of people that are are supposed to be fair. There's judges and detectives. A judge can't be a good judge if they're going to be biased. Uh, and it's hard for a judge to be biased because they're called out on it. It's called an appeal. With detectives, I mean, I've worked with a, a lot of detectives, good, bad, and different. But the ones that aren't good are the ones that form an opinion based on cherry-picking evidence. They don't take the evidence and then form an opinion. They form an opinion and then look at the evidence that they want to support their opinion. Right. Uh, so uh, that show is the same way. They take the evidence based on what the person who wanted the show put on the air to begin with. In this case, the daughter or some family member. They don't want to offend that person, uh, and they just let them talk. But I don't know the history of those shows. Do they get paid for this material? I was just going to ask you that. 
because uh, the daughter get paid for this? I, I, you know, I don't think so because it's it's a and I'm using air quotes here. It's a, a journalism show, and a journalist does not pay. For instance, you want to go on the Today Show, and except if you're a celebrity, and the celebrities don't get paid either, I don't think. But if, if you want to go on a show because you recently appeared in a, in a major news story, they don't pay you. They'll they'll supply uh, expenses to fly you in, put you up in a hotel, but you don't get paid. So I'm thinking in this case also, you're going to be on national television uh, because you want your opinion known. 15 minutes of fame, that's how pay. Exactly. And, and yeah, they, they give you your 15 minutes of fame and that's all you get. I, I, I really doubt if anybody knows whether they get paid on shows like this, particularly that show. And I really doubt it. Uh, cause what kind of, I mean, there's unions involved here. What, what are you going to get? $300? I mean, yeah, you, get three, you get $375. I got that even when I did the Merv Griffin shows, it's a base pay. They have to pay you. Yes. Yeah, you sign off on your, you got a writer, you sign off your likeness, your voice and everything. And you go, you give it to them. It's a union thing, right? Right. Yeah. I think we should go to commercial break and go to a real story now about a, a real murder. <laughs> a real murder okay. that yeah, was that. Re, was reflected even in a movie. When we get back, don't go yeah. nowhere. We know where you are. Today's show is being sponsored by Cordelione Fine Italian Food Products. This sponsor really means a lot to me. Cordelione Fine Italian has taken the heart and soul of the Godfather films and created a line of food products that include pasta sauce, balsamic vinegar from Modena, Italy, Genco extra virgin olive oil from Sicily. They created delicious pasta sauces, marinade, tomato basil, arrabbiato, and my favorite, Clemenza's meat sauce. You will be amazed. You will think your grandmother made the sauce herself. CorleoneFineItalian.com that's CorleoneBuyingItalian.com. Oh, we're, we're back. And uh, happens to be a topic. I knew about this. That, that was a moron. Now we're getting into real heavy <laughs> time. <laughs> now, now we got some real stuff going on. Why don't you introduce what we're talking about, Pat? Okay. Uh, those of you who, who have seen Casino, and we're assuming as everybody that lives in the continental United States, and who hasn't seen that movie, Good uh, there was a character played by Alan King. Uh, those of you who are, are younger may not know who Alan King was, but he was a, originally a comic uh, uh, and a very successful one. But he became a very successful businessman. And oh he decided God. he owned yeah, studios, he, motion picture studios in New York. I mean, the man on that. Yep. He decided he wasn't going to go from nightclub to nightclub doing a stand up act anymore. So. He wanted to start acting. He gets a part in this movie in Casino uh, playing a, a character that's based on a real person. If you recall the movie, the Alan King character uh, toward like maybe two thirds of the way through the movie is walking out of a hotel supposed to be the Stardust in a parking lot. He's having, Stardust. Yeah, he's having a conversation with somebody. They're walking between cars so you can't walk next to each other. So his friend, air quotes, is walking behind him Alan King, the Alan King character is, is, is talking and uh, he doesn't finish a sentence because his friend shoots him in the head a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, but the send up to that was, and that was the, uh, the Alan Dorfman character, but the right. send up to that was in the movie. And according to what uh, I've read and researched on this guy, and of course you, you know a lot more than I do, but uh, hear me out for a second here. Uh, in, 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 as part of the research, Alan Dorfman was a popular guy 
Oh everybody and good looking guy. Yeah, everybody liked them. And they indicated that in the movie also. And when they were deciding if they were going to hit him or not, this old fat capo in uh either in Kansas City or Chicago said, you know, everybody's you know that Chicago, Chicago. Yeah, got, you know, guys are taking a vote. Uh they they elected to hit this guy, that guy, then they came to the Alan Dorfman character. His name was changed in the movie. And uh the guy who's running the meeting says, you know. He's a nice guy, and I like him. He's always been good to us. But why take a chance? Oh no! That, I mean, to give you a little, our audience a little more back history. Alan Dorfman probably was the, the most prominent insurance broker in the world. His biggest customer was the Teamsters, yeah, and the, and the culinary unions. He was so wired. And because of, of you know the the Accados and and the Costellos in the world who were running it at that time, he was very well received. Jewish background, Maya loved him. Everybody, so they gave him these opportunities. But also, I was a part of a situation that almost was part of my demise, is when everybody was borrowing all the pension fund money. And Jimmy Hoffa was in jail. We're talking about the 80s here. <laughs> and uh, it got to be, I mean, I think I would have to say 90% of uh, the money in Vegas at that time was coming from the team's suspension fund. $154 million was lent in three Well, he years. was in charge of that, right? Well, uh, yeah. Yeah. He was in charge of approving the loans. Yep, yep. Did he approve your loan? <laughs> yeah, he did. He approved my loan on a napkin. My loan was approved by the guy who he had to turn it into was Corky Savella. I went to, it's on wiretap. That's what's so funny. If anybody wants to look up the review journal and uh, there's a segment of uh, a guy called Ned Day and look up Gianni Russo and the report he did on me at the review journal where they, he got wiretaps from the FBI where they wiretapped me in Corky Savella's house in Ohio, where I had to go. And I made a deal to borrow $72 million on a handshake. And there's a couple of guys who were picked up on, on wire that I didn't know they were on wire, the other guys. And they're saying, you shouldn't give him a dime. That guy's going to show up. And you know, I was <laughs> I was building a hotel. This is 1980, April Fool's Day. And I thought, I'm going to have the the joke. I know. And I put up two huge tents on the corner of Armin and Coval Lane. And that's why sometimes when I love hearing these stories, because it it resurrects things in my house, in my, of of cards in my life. It's insane. Well, everybody, you know, the the cards started to fall. Dorfman went to jail. How did you how did you beat all the scrutiny? I almost didn't. See, there I was so high, high profile coming out of the Godfather. It took about 1980. And they really wanted to make a show out of this. Meaning, you know, let's arrest everybody. So what I did, I used six hundred thousand dollars of my own money to Las Vegas Paving Company. They came in, did the excavation and 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 prepped the land. And I was about to make my first draw. Of a seventy-two million dollar team Stallone. <laughs> what, what what kind of a business was this? Let's go into it a little more. Uh, I was building a Renaissance hotel. 
How many rooms? I had uh, 250 rooms, uh, all suites. Yeah. And it was a a boutique hotel. And I came up with the idea because of Las Vegas Boulevard and the zoning was going to go south towards McCarran Airport. For people who don't know, towards Los Angeles. Coming out of McCarran Airport that's still there was Paradise Road going towards downtown. And I I bought all the acreage on Colville Lane, which is the street that goes between them. Small <laughs> move. No, Today's show is being move. sponsored by. So now I own a fine Italian food products. This sponsor really means a lot. I'm probably the only guy in the has taken the heart of being president. The Godfather and created a line of food products that include. We're watching and balsamic vinegar from Lusina, Italy. Were very Genco extra virgin olive oil. You know, top this 500 companies. They created the delicious sponsor, accounting firm, Modern Art, Urge, Tomato, Basil, one of the Arrabbiato, and huge. my favorite, yeah, here, Clemenza so sauce. So that's who I had a journey to, which fortunately You would think your grandmother made you know, the sauce herself. That was my owl. Corleone, because Italian. they notified me. That's and they said, Corleone, Italian. You're about to take your first draw. I said, yeah. He said, well, we know the feds are going to raise the interest rates to 19%. Well, you know, and and that was the low end. It eventually went up to like twenty three. Oh, I know. Yeah, but what saved my life, like you know, if anybody read our books, I have more luck than brains. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm about to draw down this money, and I get a call from Ernst and Young. They said, Johnny, we can't advise you to take the money. I said, What should I do? He's well. You would have to stay 90% occupied just to service your debt. How are you going to? They can make money. Not only that, are you going to pay your help and do everything else? Yeah. So I pulled the plug on the door, on, on the whole deal. And thank God, if they didn't call me, they were waiting for me to take my draw down. There was another three or four guys that were taking big money with unsecured loans. Unbelievable. The $154 million of the Teamsters' money that built Vegas, I would have been a part of it. That would have brought them into $200-something million. I don't, I don't think we'd be having this podcast right now. No, I don't think so. We'll be just <laughs> yeah. coming out of jail, I think. <laughs> so but, you must have been cursing your luck at the time, but how long did it take you to realize that you really lucked out? Oh, no, I, I did. The next day I did. In fact, yeah. if you read more, or and all this stuff is documented. I mean, it sounds like what you and I are writing another book. Yeah. But then when I realized what was going on, there was a, a suspicious fire on my construction site. I'm so sorry to hear that. All the trailers were burnt. All the evidence was burnt. And I was sitting across the street in the, in the, uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> the Dartmouth apartments. And somebody pointed out to you, look, there's a fire. No, I was having a party on the balcony watching the fire. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I tell but you, sometimes I mean, things happen to your advantage. You know, it's part oh, of life. Yeah. That was a big advantage to me, please. I mean, so crazy. how did Dorfman go from everybody's spearhead child to laying in a parking lot with two bullets in his head? Well, because from the prison cell, a guy called Jimmy Hoffa was bringing everybody's attention to it. Yeah. He, he found God. And wanted to come back to the Brotherhood, and the Teamsters had the largest membership in the world. 
So now they have to start covering up things. Now, who did they cover up? The people who okayed the loans. Yeah. <laughs> and we're talking about the civilian people, like the right. Alan Hoffmans and those people, not the, the mob guys that were controlling it. Wasn't and, there a woman killed here too? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. In San Diego, she was. What, I what was her name? Oh, Jesus. What was her name? She was a hotel owner besides. Yeah, that, that was also in the movie. Spilotro yeah. Well, Spilotro went down and killed her. You know how her husband went to... This is a crazy thing. This is a fact, too. Her husband was taking a shower. When he came back to the kitchen, she was dead. The steam was still coming out of her coffee. The ant got in there, blew her away, and got out. Because she could, she could have been a big detriment to some yeah. friends in Chicago. And, and made it, I mean, these kind of things are insane. That's why when you mentioned this to me, I said, oh, we got to do this. Yeah. Because I knew everybody that did. And we, as you know, we had another piece that we can't even add. We would be here for an hour. Is yeah. They took out a major culinary union guy, Al Hamlin, at the Cameron Airport. All this during this specific time period? All for this reason. All for this reason. The the biggest unions then, I mean, it, it was all Teamster. But, I mean, you, you could be in a culinary union, but basically you're a Teamster too. So, yeah. I mean, it's a, and it was their, was their pension fund. Imagine you being a truck driver, driving 16 hours a day, and you know you're going to retire in two years, there's nothing in the coffer no more. What, what, if you take a loan like this, what was the what were the what was the points? Well, you never knew. Everybody had their own deal. I had no points. If if you were a mob guy and you wanted points, you put points in. And that was their payoff right there. They they every every as they said, every loan is streamlined to fit your lifestyle. <laughs> well, is it, that is a great business model. Like I have to remember that if I ever go into the loan business. <laughs> but you know, but the mob is the mob. What what, what did they want out of it? This was they don't want the convictions. Yeah. And everybody that borrowed the money all made money. I mean, yeah. I can name them. Sarkis Webby, who who bought the uh, Aladdin, he borrowed money. Every So many guys, Steve Wynn borrowed money from them, but they mm -hmm. made money and paid it back. That's yeah. where the money was being made. And the bigger money was being made. The mob was running those casinos. Well, that's, that's where they did. Yeah, well, there's a you know one hand washes the other thing. You well, that's no what it's loan. about. Yeah, I mean they're not going to give you a no interest loan for nothing. I mean no, and and that's again when a couple of times you and I touched on is the part that Howard Hughes played in Vegas. Yeah, Howard Hughes was a figurehead for the FBI to finally get into this business. They couldn't get into free enterprise. It's against the bylaws of the FBI. You so believe this, this was after this uh, uh, Teamsters loan scandal thing, right? This was while it was going on. Oh, okay. And they gave him an aircraft uh, aircraft um, contract yeah. with the profit to go in and stop buying up hotels. First hotel he bought was the Landmark. Then he bought the Sands. And he bought these properties. I mean, I can name every hotel he bought. And then when you start to see who, who who he brought in, Bill Dana, Bob Mayhew, they're all FBI guys. Oh, yeah, retired uh, FBI guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did uh, you know for the for the FBI to 
think up this kind of a scheme to get uh, to, to get a, a handle mm-hmm. on, on on the mob to me is amateurish. I mean, they're the biggest investigatory agency in the world with the best reputation, and they got to bring in the likes of Howard Hughes to help them make a case. But you're what, what, what ever happened to that, by the way? Was there any cases made? No. No, he, my point exactly. Well, not only that, but what happened was, you know, he was living in the Desert Inn Hotel at the top. I I got to know him a little, and you know, I wanted to know him. And uh, then he, they they said he got strung out on heroin. He became a recluse. Yeah, his family out of Texas got him out of there. They left him, but he was already gone mentally. Yeah, but the thing was that you know. The, the funniest thing of this whole story is they kept the mob in place in the casinos so their FBI agents could learn how to run a casino. And they didn't realize how much skin was going on for another two years yeah. yet. Nobody like, it's like the gang that couldn't shoot straight. I was going to say, well, this, well, this is something else. This is the gang that couldn't think straight. Yeah. Hello. I, mean, I mean, you don't bring civilians into a criminal investigation. I mean, that's insane. They, they they get put on the stand, they get decimated. But anyway, it's it's part of history and it's interesting. No, I uh, think so too. I mean, and listen, the subject matter of the show, I think anybody listening, this is fact. This is fact of the eighties of how Vegas was built. And look it up, and it's insane. And I almost went to jail over it because of the wiretaps and all that. And then that all was resolved. <laughs> Everybody was on a wiretap. See you later. You know, it's done. That's 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 interesting. Well, anyway, R.I.P. to Alan Dorfman. But uh, I mean, the guy was a legitimate guy yeah. who got sucked into this, and uh, he he got killed be- because maybe he would have talked. He probably would have talked. Oh my God! Yeah, no. a, yeah. he was such a nice guy, and and basically, I can name a couple of names that I wouldn't because when they, like you said, when they sat down. I said, how can we kill Alan? He's such a nice <laughs> guy. It was like saying, you know, and that's what, you know, they, they you know, it was, it was a hard decision to make because everybody liked him. Yeah. But he had to go. And well, like I that know, lady had to go. We we still have time for some, uh, for, uh, some emails. So what do you say we take a commercial break and come back yeah. and answer it? All right. We'll be right back. And uh, as you know, we know yeah. where you live. And we got a guy sitting in front of your house, by the way, whoever you are. So, hello. All right. So, uh, we're you know, back with the mailbag. I went out back, back yet. the mailbag. All right. Uh, here's one, uh, Gianni. What can I say uh, that hasn't been said already? This is from Paul. Uh, I recently listened to the audio, audio version of your book. This is Hollywood Godfather, the first book. It was a, a, it was a brilliant decision for you to uh, narrate the book. Amazing true stories, brilliant writing. Thank you, Patrick. Uh, brilliant production. I love the book so much. I'd love to get a signed c- copy of the book with both yours and Patrick's th- signature. How can I obtain a signed copy of your book? Congratulations on your success with the book and the podcast. Okay, just send the book, send your copy to uh, to me at uh, P.O. Box 443. Monesson, M-O-N-E-S-S-E-N, P-A-15062. And I will sign it. It's going to take a little time because I have to sign it. And then I got to send it to Gianni, who was seven hours away. So 
and have the mail and all that. So, but you will get it back. Uh, that's how you get a book. And, and do us a favor: include a self-addressed envelope with stamps on it back to you. <laughs> yeah, please, because otherwise it could cost us a fortune with these books. <laughs> and, and by the way, while you're at it, if you want us to sign our uh, our new book, the Six Family, include that too. There you go. And we will sign that. The two for one. What's known as a the double header in the publishing business. Okay. Uh, this is from Paul again. Uh, okay. I, I love listening to the audio version of the wonderful book and now binge listening to your e- equally wonderful podcast. I'm currently up to episode 43, Mafia Cops. But well, you got a long way to go, Paul. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, are these the same cops uh, uh, written about the book in the uh, Mob Cops by Greg Smith? There were three books about uh, uh, these these guys who were doing hits for the mob, uh, Caracapa and I forgot the other guy's name. Uh, but the, the, at least three books. The one by Greg Smith I'm not familiar with. There was one uh, written by uh, uh, Tommy Days, who's one of the cops that investigated them with a co-author that I think was the best book. But, uh, yeah, it probably, you know, they just told the same story several times over. But the one written by the cop who actually investigated these guys is worth buying. I said, that's Tommy Dades. Here's another one. Same guy? Yeah. Oh, no. Let's give, give somebody else a chance. We'll read him in the next one. He's written three. He's going to write a whole biography of us. What are we doing here? All right. Okay. Uh, this is from Christopher. I just wanted to say The Godfather is one of my favorite movies. Yeah, you and a couple of other people. Uh, <laughs> God. Uh, yeah, there's a couple, three, four out there that really liked it too. Uh, I've seen the movie countless times and also uh, read the novel many times. I first heard, heard about your book when you did an interview on the Johnny Dare Morning Show. Immediately, I knew I had to read it. I absolutely loved your book. Uh, it's, it's certainly uh, You certainly led an extremely interesting life, and I honestly couldn't put it down. I also downloaded the audio book and hearing you tell the stories added uh, so much more and made everything feel that much more genuine. I was relatively new to podcasts and was looking for something new and interesting and working my second job in the evenings and have been slowly getting caught up on your podcast. I would, uh, here's another one. I would love if you could possibly send me a copy of your book for your book, your signature. I have a small collection of signed books that are meaningful to me and would love to add yours to the collection. Okay, same thing. Send the book and also the other one, uh, The Sixth Family. You can send both books with a self-addressed stamped envelope to me at PO Box 443 Monesson, M-O-N-E-S-S-E-N, in the great state of PA, PA, 15062, and we'll get it back to you as quickly as possible. And once again, I have to sign it, then I give it to Gianni. Uh, I have to mail it to him, but you'll get it back. Don't forget to self-adjust the stamp envelope, or otherwise we're going to add your books to our collection. <laughs> okay. Okay, this is from John. Hi, Pat. Here's an amazing link uh, mm-hmm. to the uh, the trial of Lee Harvey Oswald with Vincent Bugliosi and Jerry Spence. It's an edited version. I don't think the full trial uh, was ever released. Uh, the, the link does not work, so why are you giving it to me? Anyway. It's called uh, uh, On Trial, Lee Harvey Oswald, and it's on sale. Oh, he he, he means the full uh, video probably is not uh, available for release. Yeah, we were talking about this 
a couple of shows ago where uh, uh, Vincent Pugliosi, who wrote a book called Reclaiming History, a 1,500-page book that he worked on for 30 years. Uh, talking oh, about yeah, the, yeah, I remember that. You're yeah. talking about the assassination. And he got uh, Racehorse Haynes. I don't know what his real name is, but he was a very, very well-known flamboyant criminal attorney yeah. who uh, was going to, uh, in a mock trial, was going to defend Lee Harvey Oswald and Vincent Bugliosi, who was a uh, who was a prosecutor. He prosecuted uh, the Manson family, a very famous prosecutor in L.A. He was going to prosecute Lee Harvey Oswald, and they put it on film, and it's available on YouTube. And last but not least, ah, from Jeannie. I really enjoyed the Sixth Family, the Pop Line, and Bloodshot Eyes. Will Ray Yale be in all your books? Well, we got him in the Sixth Family, as we just said, and he's uh, an interesting character, don't you think so, Johnny? Oh, I love him. No. Yeah, and especially and to we, let the audience know it's based on you, so it gives, it gives a, a <laughs> yeah, lot more, a lot more meaning to have you in in those yeah, books. The based on, yeah, you know, it's, it's said when you're writing fiction, write what you know. And if I don't know me by this time, I'm in serious trouble. Uh, you but anyway, you didn't know me. Look at the trouble we would have been in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Trouble is our middle name. But anyway, that's one of the reasons that we fictionalized this uh, second book, because we didn't want to get in any more trouble. Exactly. So uh, it's a work of fiction, except for the true parts. But anyway, Ray Yale, yes, we're going to have him in other books. And he was brought in to school Gianni, the Gianni Russo character uh, in the process of how to read evidence, how to investigate a case. Because Yale, at the writing of this book, was still a detective with the NYPD. He retires during the book. And he's like Gianni's mentor. So, yeah, you'll be saying him. I don't know if he'll be in every book, but he'll, he's coming back. He's an interesting character. Anyway, that's it for the uh, emails for today. Oh, great. Well, we want to thank you all for staying fans with us. Keep writing the emails. Keep telling your friends. Keep buying the books. And we appreciate both of you. Good night, Pat. Good night, Gianni. Have a good night, everybody. Bye-bye. And that was that. But I'll be back. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo or Patrick Picciarelli with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob in Hollywood as well as answers to your messages. My kids still can't believe I sat with a saint. My life's like scenes out of a movie. I'm the Hollywood Godfather, truly. I got stories with them all. You know, celebrities, world leaders, icons. Who knows what's next for me? I'll never get too old to have a little fun. Come on, I'm Gianni Russo. A genuine one of a kind. What a ride it's been, this life of mine. And I ain't done yet. I'll be back until next time. And that was that.